Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. So we want to thank HEV for making today's podcast possible. HEV makes it a priority to get involved and make a difference in the lives of friends and neighbors. HEB Operation Appreciation is a company-wide campaign created to honor the brave men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces, men and women who are HEB partners and customers, friends, and family. Operation Appreciation partners with organizations like us, the Military Child Education Coalition that supports U.S. troops and their families. In contributing time, talent, and financial support, HEB recognizes and appreciates the dedication and sacrifices service members make on behalf of the nation. So for our listeners in Texas, check out one of your neighborhood HEB grocery stores. And HEB, thank you for sponsoring this podcast for the sake of the child. Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Susan Sellers. I'm the spouse of an active duty service member, parent to three very busy military kids, master parent-to-parent educator, and now a podcast host at the Military Child Education Coalition. Today we're going to talk to Renee Bardoff, who's a new board member at MSEC, about how being military-connected can benefit your career. So, Renee, can you tell us about how you became connected with the military? I was actually the daughter of a veteran who served during the Vietnam War era, And honestly, I didn't know because he didn't talk about it that he served. It wasn't until I noticed in the attic one day that he had a uniform up there and there was a picture of him in an Army uniform and some medals up in the attic. And I I called him out on it and said, you served? And, And he said yes, but he didn't think it was as significant a part of his life as I certainly thought it was. And my own military connection started in 1991 when I married a Marine and became an active duty spouse. My kids are active duty kids, and we um, started our journey first in Fort Knox, Kentucky, and then we moved on to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So we have been affiliated with the Marine Corps and with military and veteran community since 1991, and had I known, I would have known that all my life I was connected to the veteran community. I joined up as a family member well prior to the wars, and I guess I call joining up because as most families and that are associated with the military, it's not really that we volunteer to go, but we were signed up when we married either into the military or we're a military kid. Speaking of military kids, I have two great military kids. One is 23 and the other is 15. They are wonderful children. My son just finished up his graduate degree and he's looking for a job here in D.C. And my 15-year-old 
is a sophomore in high school. She's going into her sophomore year, that is. And she plays field hockey, and she participates in the JROTC program here with the Air Force. So they're great kids, and I really enjoy them. So just a little bit more about my background. Early in my career, I worked in government, typically for the Marine Corps. I started out, it's a little funny, I started out making flyers for MWR, for the food and hospitality section. I had a hard time, like most spouses did when they first uh, married into the military, And I had to take a job that was really below my education level, below my experience level, but it was a great place to start for me. Uh, Over the years, I was lucky enough to move to different places and continue my work with the Marines, and then I went back and forth between nonprofits and government for most of my career, if not all of it. So, Renee, I think you touched upon something that a lot of families can relate to, especially in this military lifestyle. You know, it comes with rewards and challenges, especially when you're trying to have a career. And you you touched upon that your first job was printing flyers for MWR. Can you share a little bit more about some of the career path choices that you've made and sort of the decisions behind that? Sure. That's a great question because I think it's something that a lot of military spouses find as a challenge. I, too, found it a challenge. The challenges were real, and there were lots of fits and starts to my career. There were often times where I had a bit of a struggle figuring out what was next. There was a lot of anxiety about six months out from the move, what I would do next, and sadness that I would have to not just leave the base and my friends there and have my kids go to a new school, but also leaving my my coworkers and a pretty good life professionally that I had developed in each place, oftentimes with promotions because, again, I was typically working maybe below my education level or below my compensation level. So I typically got a promotion or a couple promotions Uh, whenever we would move to a new duty station. And I always knew the next place I went to, if I didn't work in government, most people, if I shared that I was a military family member, would oftentimes the first question they would ask is, oh, when will you move? And that was a deterrence from people hiring me, especially early on in my career when telecommuting and other things weren't available to make work life more compatible with military service life. So I found, um, as I said, it was fits and starts until I really found a groove and something that I could feel passionate about. And that eventually helped me as I went from place to place to continue my mission in a way that was still fulfilling. I decided early on that I was going to have to continue my government work with the Marine Corps because I knew we were moving to a new Marine Corps duty station each time we moved. So I was lucky to build connections and professional relationships as I moved from one place to another. And then, of course, everything kind of changed after the wars began. 
Well, Renee, I have to share with some of our listeners, you have a very impressive resume from working with a a Marine Simplify Fund to the Woodruff Foundation, and as you mentioned, government work even being appointed uh, at the DOD. But I'm curious, would you share with our listeners, what draws you to the organizations? You mentioned something about finding your groove, feeling passionate about it. Could you share with them these organizations that you've worked out? What stands out to you? Why, Why were you drawn to them? Well, I think I ended the last question with uh, everything changed after the wars, and that was the same for me as it was for nearly every military family that I knew at that time. And I remember watching the 9-11 incident and, and watching the planes crash into the buildings, and I knew almost immediately that my life was going to change and that it would never be the same as the life that I had before. But at that time, I built a career. Uh, I was still very young, but I had built a career in really personal and family readiness and public affairs with the Marine Corps. And so I had some experience working with military families in particular and their morale, their wellness, their um, personnel needs, their quality of life. And because of the wars, quality of life really changed for all of us. Our family um, was often broken apart by deployment. There was a lot of stress and feelings of not being able to to have consistency and to worry about the safety of our family members. So I decided at some point that it was really time for me to go into the nonprofit sector. I'd hoped eventually that I might return to government and since then, I've really gone from government to nonprofit to government to nonprofit to government, <laughs> and now I'm on my, I've been on my third nonprofit. The first nonprofit you mentioned was the Injured Marine Semper Fi Fund, and that really came out of and was born out of a kitchen table group of a, a number, a small number of spouses that were out at Camp Pendleton, and their founder asked me to be one of their co-founders. And again, it was born out of the wars, and it was for injured personnel. What I saw and what many spouses saw were the wounds and, and terribly the killed in action personnel that, uh, whose families had been impacted. I had an opportunity to be volunteering and left my position in government to work pro bono to help wounded warriors and their families. Eventually, I went back into the Marine Corps, and instead of working in public affairs or in uh, personnel readiness, I started to work to develop the Wounded Warrior Regiment for the Marine Corps, which was a real blessing, and I got to understand and try to develop, together with other collaborators, the policies that would be put in place for, for all service members eventually. Once I had that experience, I moved after Bob Woodruff, who was an ABC correspondent, was wounded in Iraq. I had an opportunity to be the founding executive director of his foundation. Eventually, as you said, I got the appointment at DOD, and I moved back into the public affairs space, becoming a deputy secretary of defense for public affairs and the outreach. So I served at that point for the Secretary of Defense for all community relations, so that is external partners to DOD, whether it be Hollywood or 
uh, professional sports or businesses and other nonprofits that were working in the space. And again, everywhere I went, I learned something. I was able to build upon the impact that I was able to have um, both professionally but also with other partners. And once my appointment ended, I transitioned first to industry and then to the Wounded Warrior Project, uh, where I completed my service with them this, this May and transitioned from there. Well, Renee, I have to say, you know, there's buzzwords today going around, you know, powerful moments, finding your grit, and just sharing your experience right now. I think you have totally had your powerful moment and and tapped into it to have it sort of guide you on your current path. And you had mentioned, you know, going in and out of government work and nonprofit work, but it seems everything was still centered around military families, military-connected families. And a lot of these organizations provide resources. And I know from your vast experience and contributions in this field over the last two decades, you must know a great deal of resources for our military-connected families. I'd love for you, though, to share maybe some of your favorites with our listeners. Sure. Uh, Let me start with one of the points you made a minute ago, because I think it's really important. Over the course of my career, my experiences as a family member, I recognize that it was really important for organizations to come together and to collaborate with one another in order to solve big issues for our military and their families. So when I had an opportunity that the Secretary of Defense gave me to be a convener of organizations in the space and to encourage them to work together to solve these problems instead of in silos, I really felt blessed to be able to have the opportunity to do that. And when I did, I saw that together we could really move not just programs that would support military and veteran-connected people, but that could also change policy and legislation that would impact everyone over over the decades and, and perhaps even centuries to assist them. So I've really learned a lot in terms of why it is important and how much impact you can have at bringing them together. And also, one of the biggest issues that we face is really there's a filled mill divide between our force and and civilians in this country, and it's important that we work together to preserve the all-volunteer force. Some of the organizations that I've worked with that I think are making the greatest impact, one, of course, is NSEC and the work that they are doing as military children especially move from duty station to duty station And they have inconsistencies as they move and they move schools and all of the demands that come with each move and the changes between school to school regarding AP classes, grading, levels, uh, mathematical requirements, reading requirements, testing, all of those. And sometimes, like spouses do, you take two steps forward, one step back every time you make a move. So... MSEC is very helpful in assisting families. The other that I just have a real soft spot in my heart for is TAPS, who really is one of the few organizations that help our military families and veteran families when they experience loss, whether it's killed in action or it's non-combat injured or those who have illnesses, oftentimes related to their deployments and exposures to toxins, 
And I don't know an organization that does more for our surviving families. So I think if I were to to talk about just a couple, it would be those two. There's other just really wonderful, passionate people that are working in lots of different organizations and the legacy VSOs as well, who are the folks that really make everything happen with our policy and legislative changes. Well, Renee, thank you so much for sharing those two resources with our listeners. What's unique about our podcast is it's about sharing stories, sharing experiences, and based on your background of having two military kids and being connected into the community for so long, would you share any last advice with our military parents when it comes to providing a convoy of support to their military-connected children? I guess I couldn't express strongly enough why it is so important to connect with the civilian community. I learned in a lot of my positions that no one can do it alone. And when you isolate yourself on a military installation or within just the military and veteran community, then it becomes difficult both for you and your family to relate to civilian issues and for civilians to relate to you. So it's very important to connect to the civilian community, especially for our guard and reserve families who don't have, they don't have the opportunities necessarily to be on bases and to be able to shop in the commissary every time they go or the exchanges. So their children and many of our children that are part of the active duty force are required to go to schools outside the the gates of installations. But that can be a real benefit for them. And I would encourage for them to encourage their kids to do sports, volunteerism, activities, and to take advantage of the resources that are both on the base and off the base. Personally, as a parent, I found early on that you have to say yes to opportunities. It's really easy to become isolated on an installation or really even just outside the gates. And when people ask you, especially civilians, to go and do something and to be a part of the community, I really always felt like, even though it made me feel uncomfortable, that I needed to say yes. I think it's really important for military spouses and families to find a mission that you're really passionate about. And if you do, you'll find ways as you move to every location to live out that mission and to have a personal mission in your life. You'll find uh, organizations and people who share your values and share your passion. And finally, I, I would just say that there are real benefits, as everyone knows, to being a military or veteran-connected individual. You know about patriotism and sacrifice, but you also know about great opportunity, uh, living overseas and lots of different places in the country, and your children have that benefit of resilience everywhere they go. So I can't think of a much better life than the one that we've had being military-connected, and even though we've made Lots of sacrifices to do that as a family and as our friends have, and we've had great losses. We've also had great successes and great experiences. Well, Renee, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't think of better advice for our listeners out there, and I have to say that I've learned some more just from what you've shared with us today. Well, thank you, Susan. I appreciate that you asked me to join you today, and I certainly absolutely love the MSEC family and Mary Keller and all that she's done over the years. So I'd be remiss not to acknowledge her and 
her time at MSEC and her retirement, there hasn't been really a better advocate for military kids, especially in the education space, than she has been. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit with your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for those kind words, and I completely agree. I think Mary Keller has been a instrumental resource for our military-connected families. So, And thanks to all our listeners for joining us today. We'd like you to share and subscribe, and we always appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics you'd like to hear more about. Have a great day. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.